Good morning, Playbookers. I'm Kara Tabor. It's Tuesday, and a New York Republican appears to not be who he says he is. This is your Politico Playbook Daily Briefing. The big story we're looking at today is about New York Congressman-elect George Santos, who new reporting shows may have misrepresented major details about his background and career. Playbook editor Mike DeBonis and Playbook co-author Ryan Lizza break it down. Hey, it's Playbook editor Mike DeBonis. I'm here with Playbook author Ryan Lizza, and we are just agog about this wild story in the New York Times out of Long Island. Ryan, what is the story all about? My home area there. Basically, you have a Republican candidate who wasn't vetted either by the Republicans or all that much uh, by the Democrats, although we'll get to that in a second, who won by eight points. As a lot of listeners know, New York crime was a major issue, and New York is one of the states where Republicans did very well in the midterms. And this guy came out of nowhere. Well, I shouldn't say came out of nowhere. He was a sort of afterthought candidate in 2020 against Tom Suozzi. Now it turns out that a good chunk of his biography was fraudulent, including where he went to school and the alleged Wall Street firms he worked for all seems to be uh, bunk. And the Times went down to Brazil, where he's from, and found out that he's the subject of a criminal case there. And a really kind of shocking detail in the piece is that he said that his company employed four people who were killed in the Pulse nightclub mass shooting in Orlando. That also appears to be fake. Truly a onion of layer upon layer of misrepresentation to the point that it's posing some serious questions, one of which you got at, which is where was the vetting here? And you've been asking some questions about this. Ryan, what have you found out? This is what's strange. You know, I was talking to this Democratic opponent, Robert Zimmerman, and his press guy has been tweeting up storm about this, as you know, you can imagine. So they knew some of this stuff. The DCCC's oppo file on this guy is posted online. And it's quite lengthy, and it does raise questions about some of the stuff. Not everything. It takes at face value where he worked and where he went to school. But some of the stuff that was sketchy about him, especially recent financial stuff, is buried in lots and lots of research about his far-right positions on the issues, abortion and crime being the top two. His Democratic opponent, they ran a campaign trying to take him out by playing defense on crime. And they went after him a lot on his sort of Trump connections and far right views on abortion. And, you know, they tried to get the press to pay a little bit more attention to some of his biographical stuff. But, you know, I'm from Long Island. This is a district in northern Long Island on the North Shore where the hometown newspaper Newsday is lucky to still be in existence, right? The New York Times is not spending a huge chunk of reporters to go out and cover this race, even though it was a toss-up from the beginning. We have a big New York bureau. You know, we didn't spend a ton of resources on this race. Everyone was focused on the Maloney race or the, the gubernatorial race. So I think partly it is a story of hometown news not having the resources it once did. Although having said that, there was a local paper in a tiny little paper called the North Shore Leader, this paper had some of the details. They were asking really hard questions. 
And still the Zimmerman campaign just couldn't get much traction. The national press was obsessed with the fact that both the Republican and Democratic candidate in the race were both gay. I should say allegedly. I don't know if I believe anything from this guy anymore. (laughs) But um, they just didn't do a deep investigative piece the way that the Times did. And a lot of journalistic resources are not thrown at those kind of biographical deep dives for a house race, right? I mean, this is instructive about how the whole Democratic apparatus saw this election and how it was going to be decided on abortion and this theme of Republican extremism, when the results actually showed that it was individual sort of qualms about these candidates, both based on their extremism, but also based on their personal backgrounds that ended up disqualifying a lot of these Republican candidates and costing uh, Republicans the big majority that they were expecting, right? So yes, absolutely. A, a bit of a miscalculation by Democrats and sort of counting on his extreme views to carry the day for them. We go back now, you look at some of this stuff and you see a lot of clues were out there in the open, whether it was the opposition research that the Democrats were doing or some of these reports in these small papers. One other example of this, the Cook Political Reports had a sort of scouting report early on on this race. And this just jumps out at you when you read it now. I'll read it here. Republican strategists bitterly regard this race as a recruitment failure. Santos was the GOP's sacrificial lamb against Representative Tom Suozzi in 2020, losing 43 to 56. Santos has self-funded $580,000 and has boasted of spearheading, quote, landmark deals, but at least one senior House GOP aide is wary of his purported business background, vowing, quote, we're not touching him with a 10-foot pole. (laughs) So all the details there are just like, you know, this guy comes out of nowhere and starts self-funding to the tune of hundreds of thousands of dollars after we know from the Times report declaring basically that he was broke in his previous financial disclosure. So even the Republicans, according to this Cook political report piece, knew something was amiss. Right. And so 10-foot pole, 20-foot pole, no pole at all, whatever the scenario, this guy, George Santos, is now a congressman-elect. He won handily, fair and square, He is, by all accounts, entitled to be sworn in on January 3rd to represent New York's 3rd Congressional District. So what now? That is the real question. This guy went from being, you know, we're not going to touch him with a 10-foot pole to Kevin McCarthy at one of his post-election night sort of uh, victory lap speeches, calling him out specifically as one of the people that makes up the new Republican majority. (laughs) Um. Now, he had slim pickings uh, in terms of people to mention. So now I think a couple of questions. One, will there be any criminal action in New York? There already is some criminal case against him in Brazil. Two, some of the stuff will clearly be referred to the Ethics Committee. As a longtime Hill guy, you know that the Ethics Committee is not exactly, uh, you know, like um, uh, the most aggressive uh, body (laughs) in the world. They don't move at the jump of a hat. Let's put it that way. (laughs) So I don't, you know, we're pretty close to January 3rd when the new Congress is sworn in. Uh, It seems like he can make it to January 3rd. What does Kevin McCarthy do about this? One of the guys he's going around 
pointing to as the face of the new majority basically made up his life story and made up a connection to one of the worst tragedies in recent history. That's all before you get to the fact that this guy was at the controversial fundraiser in Manhattan recently for Republicans where Marjorie Taylor Greene declared that she and Steve Bannon could have uh, done a better job on January 6th and done it armed. So you've got this sort of far-right MAGA guy who made up his life story and may be involved with some criminal issues. On the other hand, Kevin McCarthy needs every vote on January 3rd. So I would sort of be surprised if he throws him under the bus between now and then. Well, it's going to be fascinating to watch. And boy, will we be watching. Ryan Lizza, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Mike. I'm Mike DeBonis. Thanks for listening.